Hello and welcome to the Berkshire Media Show. My name is Alex Roby, Marketing Manager of Berkshire Media. It's great to have you with us today. And in this show, we're going to be interviewing guests and personalities throughout all walks of life, from small businesses, entrepreneurs, uh, and those who just have a passion in their area of expertise. So to kick off the most perfect first guest you could possibly have, I had Scott Hayden, Head of Teaching, Learning and Digital at Basingstoke College of Technology. I had the absolute privilege of being one of Scott's students at Basingstoke College of Technology and also worked with him in the latter part of my time at the college when I was the digital marketing apprentice. And today to have him here on this show is just an absolute treat. And we talk about some amazing topics, including using social media in a responsible way, the effects of AI in education, and so much more. But I'm going to stop talking from there and let him explain more. How are you doing, my friend? All is well. Very good. Awesome. So just before we start, tell us a little bit about what you do for uh, Basingstoke College of Technology. Of course. I'm the head of teaching, learning and digital at the college. So background is media, works in industry, taught media for a while, but now I train our teachers. I train them on how to use technology mindfully, deliberately, intentionally to improve teaching, learning and assessment. Awesome. Yes. um, So as part of that, inevitably, working with 16 to 18 year old students, the topics of social media and artificial intelligence are quite prominent in terms of helping our teachers understand how they can use and bottle the lightning of these incredibly complicated but potentially brilliant tools. Absolutely. Uh, And just to give a little bit of context, Scott used to teach me media while I was studying at the college. So we go back quite a few years. And even though that was only a couple of years ago in the grand scheme of things, you were very ahead of it in regards to understanding a lot of these technologies were coming into play. And I remember some of the lessons we had, uh, there was a rap tutor session in particular that struck with me and we watched a speech. I can't remember the guy's name, but we talked about social media addiction And you know what has stuck with me ever since? And I've landed into marketing and that's a big part of it. But I guess my first thing would be, what are your thoughts on social media addiction now? Because it seems like it's gotten quite heavy, a lot more heavier than it was, like especially with TikTok coming in and reels and shorts. It's crazy, isn't it? So in 2016, I had a bit of a change in my career whereby I was told I was using technology in an interesting way in the lesson. I'd have my students live streaming with students in America. We'd have hashtag debates. We would develop our LinkedIn profiles, use Snapchat to gather evidence of us doing practical skills or demonstrations. I I was all in. I was using it and encouraging my students to build their professional social media presence. Yeah, But you're right, in the last couple of years, something's happened whereby I am putting my punches as well now because we are more conscious of these, the algorithmic filter bubbles and echo chambers that have had an impact on culture and our students' well-being. And any adult is as guilty as the students in terms of how we are trapped in our particular cycles of behavior and that idea of addiction is something we have realized we've welcomed into our lives and it's something we haven't really discussed out loud culturally yet Uh, well the guys at 
the Centre for Humane Technology who produced The Social Dilemma, that Netflix documentary a few years back. Mm -hmm. They shone a light on it and they spoke about how the artificial intelligence behind social media that reads our retinas and understands when we like something more and gives us more of that content, it's, it's got us. Definitely. And it's quite interesting when you mention addiction and... Daniel Johnson, who was here a few moments ago for another podcast, uh, he made a really good point that it kind of, in a way, it's changed where back in the day, you know, maybe kids and teenagers, their act of rebellion would be to go out, have a few drinks, maybe do some things they shouldn't do nowadays, and that their addiction might be potentially to smoking. Now, smoking's become less and less, which is probably a good thing for physical health, but we're now seeing that kind of transmit into a mental health crisis. Uh, and, and I've seen a lot of that myself. I've got a younger brother who is 17, great kid. And he's, you know, he's absolutely fine, but it's quite interesting seeing the rest of his generation, uh, although I'm technically a zoomer myself, but it's like this sort of TikTok age as I would like to call it. And they are way more the pressure now because of social media is so much higher. And I think it, one of my things I would love to see and I think it's something that you've been very good on as well it's like digital awareness digital mindfulness uh, and one thing I think we need to that that worries me the most is the term doom scrolling doom scrolling yes <laughs> I'm uh, guilty of it as well so I've I done it this it. morning I literally <laughs> coming on to do a podcast for you about it today I spent I was up, up early today and I spent a lot of time looking up things that just were the supercomputer is engineered to laser point its focal energy towards me to keep me in that sticky, frictionless environment scrolling. And the more I scroll, the better it gets to know my habits. And even someone like me who goes on about digital well-being, who supposedly has got a good handle on these things, yeah, the, 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 the pitch is tilted against us. You know, We can't possibly defeat it unless we put in these conscious mindful um attempts to manage the addiction to manage it to live with it so with our students we teach them about these things we look at implementing blocks timers apps nudges prompts that can help us be conscious of the fact that we're spending too much time we did something two years ago a module on digital well-being where we raise consciousness about how much life we're spending and we asked our students 1700 of them to share in their induction their daily screen time uh, which you reckon it was 16 to 18 year olds on their mobile device this is this isn't um all screens just their so mobile device. this would have been their induction so they've just finished school yeah. so they've already had a summer so i can already tell they've been on it way more than they should have done i'm going to assume around you know what, I'm going to say 10 to 12 hours. Yeah, everyone goes high with it. And it might, it might be that now. But back then, they said 5.7 hours was the mean average of those 1,700 learners. You know, I, I think that 5.7, that makes sense on their phones. But I'm thinking, that's also just one device though, isn't it? If you're taking the data. So when I was younger, even though I might not, be, I might, as I said, I've probably been about three, four hours on my phone. But I also played a lot of PlayStation. So then it's like, okay, now I'm just still getting that screen time, but from another device. So there's little elements in that as well. But that's quite interesting though. It's only five to six hours. So that is with... That's still a lot though. Also, it's the honeymoon period of a new college course where you want to be seen to be a good boy or girl. 
Yeah. And um, so they might have been massaging the numbers a little bit there for us. But 5.7 hours is what the mean average was, which equates to roughly 13.8 years of their life if they lived to 80, looking at their mobile device. In the digital wellbeing module, we then got them to adjust the security settings, the timers, and to download apps that can help them to get more of a handle on their relationship with technology. This was then followed up by offers of support, one-to-one help for students to use social media professionally. So using it to promote themselves, using it to create videos and images or podcasts, whatever it might be, they can put on their socials to promote themselves to potential employers. And that's what we pride ourselves on doing. So we don't just tut and roll our eyes about technology. We actively show them how this can be used productively, professionally, to help you get to where you want to go. For example, in barbering, I was a student who just is a non-traditional learner. He didn't want to be writing essays or anything like this. Yeah. So he created this incredible Instagram profile with videos, GIFs, images, pieces to camera. His Google Calendar booking system was excellent. And he used that to make himself undeniable to employers. We have people in our makeup and hair courses who are developing these social media presences that can transcend the course and qualification and help them get to where they want to be. Yeah. So the way it's, it's used can either help or haunt you. So at the college, we are dedicated to helping people realise that if you use this well and employers are going to look and Google your name... If they see something pop up that is you, you know, using these tools mindfully, intentionally and deliberately, it makes you appear like somebody like you want to, who wants to be employed or to work alongside the employer, and they'll think, ah, oh, they're quite nice, I'd like to work with them. You're doing yourself um, a solid there, you know? Exactly, yeah. I remember one of the lessons we did... Um, you actually had us create LinkedIn profiles back in 2016, 2017. <laughs> right. And the thing is, that's that's been a real game changer as well now. LinkedIn has become such a huge thing. And it was already on the rise then, but now it's almost something a lot of people talk about it. Networking is just massive these days. So to get young people doing that now, I think it's so amazing because it already highlights to them, you know, this is important. People are going to Google you and see what you're doing. And... I remember this video and it was saying about, it was the interview and then the guy, the, the woman leaves the interview and then the guy goes and starts Googling it and then it comes up with a little caption that says, yes, they do do this. And it's true. So it's important. I think really we have a clean, respectful digital presence. I'm not saying like no lack of creativity, far from it, but like, you know, we, I think it's important people think about what they post as well because it def- definitely comes back to haunt them. And you see a lot of that in like the cancel culture cases as well. And uh, tweets coming back from people like 10, 15 years ago when this really wasn't taught and then they're getting laughed at for it, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that's a, I'm glad you mentioned LinkedIn. I forgot I did that with you. That was great. I've been doing it. So what we now do is we offer professional profile pictures for students. We get them to leverage artificial intelligence to help them clean up their personal statement and to enhance it and to use appropriate uh, tags as it were to get the most amount of uh, attention when they're looking to get to their next step after the college yeah we write recommendations and references for our students if they are professional and nice (laughs) which more often than not of course they're going to get those references we get the students to 
endorse each other's skills. It's got that lovely feature, hasn't it? LinkedIn. Oh, I endorse. love the endorsement thing. So that's interesting because the students can, after a group project, they can jump on LinkedIn and go, well, teamwork, have they been good in a team? And they can endorse or not endorse their peers. And that is quite interesting as like a social experiment to see that how well is. they work with each other, knowing they're going to be accountable at the end. And it is a, an assessment of one another, a peer assessment, as it were. So LinkedIn, absolutely. Increasingly, Instagram uh, is being used. TikTok, you mentioned, and we've had students in our service industries, faculty, hospitality, creating beautiful little mini universes of dishes of food, you know, which they're showing in incredible close-ups. And um, that's helping them in their job interviews because they can actually on the screen go, here's what I've been working on. Here's me in the kitchen. And that's something that, we're realising it's transferable to lots of areas. In automotive, for example, having vlogs or um, images of them explaining down the, the lens to the camera, the prospective yeah. client, as it were, different parts of a service, which is something they're going to be doing. A lot of these young mechanics in industry, they're showing that they can walk the walk. They're showing their match fit and ready for apprenticeships and early entry-level work as well. So awesome. using it, in an intentional, mindful way is crucial. And helping them to use it rather than it use them is the other challenge, it's fair to say. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, you know, I remember when I was uh, at Beacon, and I'm going to touch on something in a moment, and it's one of the best things I think you brought to the college, and I was very proud to be part of it, and it was being a digital leader. But I remember we, we did videos for the race team, and we only got vlogs for them and stuff. And it's amazing, like, that, because it gets them used to talking to people they wouldn't normally talk to. And I think it really builds that skill set. And it also, you could see the passion as well. Some of them had as well, particularly for the racing side of things when they were at Fruxton and, you know, being able to talk about, wow, we did this with the car. I think I got one of the students to give a proper tour of the vehicle. And it was just like, it was amazing to see that. But on that as well, BCOT's been going through a real transformation over the last few years. And I was very grateful to be somewhat a small part of that, both as a student, but also the digital team. So I've got to ask, how are things at the digital team? Yeah, so in 2016, I moved away from being a media teacher when I started to develop a digital team of student digital leaders, people who were like me, that were curious about technology and how it might be leveraged to yeah. help people learn whether it be using YouTube or Twitter or whether it be developing blogs. Just curious, like me. So student digital leaders joined me on inset days, training days, and went into staff rooms and classrooms and helped teachers and students to explore technology because not everybody's like you and savvy with technology and yeah. confident. Some people are worried, anxious, nervous, now more so than ever. So to have conscientious, compassionate Emotionally intelligent people, that's what I valued and I took on digital leaders, people who were able to make teachers feel calm when they're being guided on how to use technology, or students for that matter, was crucial. So for seven years or so now, I've had a team of student digital leaders, and I still do, Alex. Love that. People who are like you, who help me, and eventually they grow up to become apprentices in my team and then full-time members at the college. Or they move on. So Sky, one of my students, become an apprentice, become a learning technologist in my team, full-time member of staff, now works for the Department for Education, you know, forming and forging policy, which is beautiful. I'm very proud of that. Holly Hunt, 
for example, who is a, she might be the thing I'm most proud of in my career. Um, she's now grown up to de- develop and grow the digital team. She pretty much leads it now and I wow. manage her. She recently led the team to the Wellbeing at Work Award in Hampshire. The amazing College of Technology team, her and others. So we value well-being, digital well-being and well-being in general above everything. And our digital leader team and digital team, that's at the heart of our strategy. Digital well-being, making sure we're using technology the right way. And the team is built around student digital leaders who grow into our team and are either employed or they get work experience and move on to other things like you've ably demonstrated yourself. Yeah, uh, I think working in a digital team has been a massive big thing for me and uh, particularly with the Google implementation uh, I'm we've had to do that here and it was really fun because I was sort of going like oh, I remember everything I learned from oh, Scott and the team it's like well, now we're doing this here for us as a team and we use Google calendars to manage everything the studio uh, bookings and everything we use the email systems drive that's my favorite and it's so cool when you're going out to clients going oh we don't need a memory stick we're just going to send it to you on Drive and then you can download it or use WeTransfer if it's slightly bigger. But yeah. Uh, and as, But one thing I just want to say as well, to, to my former digital team, you know, Sky, Charlie, Holly, Brad, well done, everyone. Great work. I just want to say that as well. It's great to hear that people are making successful uh, movements in life and it's always so good to see that. And I imagine you feel that as well as a lecturer. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's my job to help people get to their next point in life and... I love it. I'm I'm very honoured to do what I do at the college and my role now is I'm in charge of coaching and developing our teachers to develop these digital skills and just generally pedagogical teaching and learning expertise. But a part of that is digital, English, math, digital, the three functional skills anyone needs in their career now, regardless of profession. So whether it be artificial intelligence, that's the topic that I'm, I'm confronting at the moment with staff. That's all staff want to know about at the moment, I can tell you. Let's touch on it. I yeah. think there's a great discussion there. And there is a lot going on with it, isn't there? And I've seen it. Uh, it's become such a big thing in culture now as well. Uh, very recently, I saw a South Park episode. Did you ever, did you see that? Yeah, uh, the one with the, with, yeah, oh, such a great show. It's my, probably my favourite show. And they're very good at being right on the trend, literally on the week. And I remember they watched, I watched that chat GPT episode and I was kind of looking at it going, you know, I'm, I felt a little bit called out because I've used it not, not to like write everything for me. I've used, and I'll go on to that in a moment. I've used it as a bit of a tool, but I have heard of students, like I said, using it, writing entire essays, submitting, and then, you know, the lecturers sat there going, oh God, like, where's this coming from? Yeah, and so November 30th, OpenAI opened up ChatGPT for public consumption. It was around about January of this year, 2023, where people online started to really start to get a handle on things and share it. There's screenshots online and GIFs we started to see populating social media. So inevitably, students got wind of this and were sharing it in Snapchat, group chats, Discord servers. Yeah. And absolutely, they've been using it to talk to the machine to co-author their essays. Snapchat AI is the most popular, I would argue, amongst our young people at the moment. Easily accessible, isn't it? It's right on the app. You just log in and talk to it and go, hey, how are you doing? And it's at the top as well. You have to pay for premiums to turn it off. So it's 383 million people, I think, use Snapchat. And I think my AI, which is Snapchat's AI, I think it's 320 million are using my AI. 
why is it that many? Because it's right at the top. Yeah, who's yeah. not going to press on it? And it's a, a cuddly, kind-looking robot avatar. <laughs> it makes it all the more accessible. So I was testing it this morning, and I was getting it to write an essay for me, Harvard referencing bibliography, to provide five diverse sources, to add some spelling and grammar mistakes to make it seem like it's me and so my teacher doesn't think it's AI. Mm. And in five minutes, I'd written a distinction grade start to my essay. So this raises the question as to what happens next in education. So some people are saying the return to exams might be the way forward, whereby we shut down, (sighs) close book, you know, and just go regress. The other argument is, and this is something we're doing at the college, is to embrace more authentic, genuine, exciting, adaptive forms of assessment. A podcast might be a way to assess a learner that's transcribed into text, a vlog or a screencast of them going over something and explaining it with examples. It might be a debate or a discussion that's captured video or audio also. It might be a blog or a website which shows the process, the story of a project coming together. It might be reflective accounts, something you did for me all those years ago, Alex. Yeah, and they were brilliant. And you know what? I think as well, that's such a great way of getting the best out of people because I'm not myself. I can write, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm okay with it. But uh, I absolutely love being able to talk about something. Like I said, even a discussion like this. And we did, this is kind of a bit, referring back to when we did this, we would go on to... uh, google hangouts and uh we would record it and then submit that as coursework and then come back with a nice grade and it worked and i think it's such a great way and like i said unfortunately essays are going to start getting manipulated and as well the kids are smart but what they do is they put it in chat gpt and there's all this chat gpt software coming out now for lecturers so what do the kids do they go and find another ai put the thing in and go could you just rewrite it again and then it's completely undetectable yeah yeah I'll tell you what, as far as problem solving goes, I'll give them a 10 out of 10 for that. But it's also a bit like, oh my God, that is so worrying. It is. It forces educators to up their game. Yeah. Um, so, if, But if I'm assessing you in terms of setting up a studio, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. surely a video or images or witness statement of me watching you do it and quiz you, professional discussions is a more authentic way. Big time. Than it is, write an essay on it, Alex. Yeah, And so there's the essay that has its place, but if it doesn't relate to examples, their life, um, some personal reflection, then I fear this is going to be, I fear the essay might not live much longer in its current form. It has to adapt, evolve, adjust. AI is here and our students, I actively encourage students to be using it in my lessons to enhance their referencing, to get diverse sources, to make their ref- their bibliographies watertight, to then relate the examples to their personal experiences and examples, which the AI can't do for the learner because yeah. it's their life, their examples. That colour, that nuance, that subtlety, that is where the real learning takes place, some might argue. So the essay won't die as such, it will have to evolve. And teachers... I'm encouraging our staff at the college. We've turned on Google Bard, which is the um, generative AI chat GPT light equivalent. And you can plan lesson plans, um, schemes of work, resources, examples, case studies, quizzes, checks on learning. All these things are being done like this for our teachers, which is freeing them up to have evenings and weekends back. Good. And And they work hard. They deserve it. 
And so they'll be, hopefully, a bit fresher, a bit more vibrant and engaged in the classroom, doing the human part of the job that can never be automated away. And that's the bit teachers want more of, the mentoring, the coaching, the human connection. Yeah, and I think that's irreplaceable. Um, one concept I did see years ago, um, I was watching a video from a... Ch- Have you ever heard of CGP Grey, YouTuber? No. Really, oh, check him out. He does some really nice pieces. Um, <clears throat> and he did one video, and he discussed about um, the future of teaching. And one, I, one, one concept he said was, in the future, everyone's going to have a digital Aristotle. It's going to teach everyone, and then teachers are going to become more of this caring type of... The focus on the human side. Do you think that could happen in the I like next? That. I like th- that. What's the guy's name? CGP Gray. Mm. And uh, I will find the video. I'll send it to yeah, you. Do, and it, mate, and do. It, absolutely brilliant. And it got me really thinking about it. And it now I'm seeing all the stuff at AI. I think about it even more. But I think that might be the way we go. Where because it's also good because the AI will be able to develop plans on an individual basis. Because every student's different. If you took a class of ten kids and you taught them, how many of them got got the lesson? you know it's like and they reckon maybe about one or two got it completely a couple got it somewhat and then there were some that won't have got it at all so the digital aristotle's type of system will be able to get them at the level they're at so instead of just having this simple like tier system you can have really really integrated ways of doing it that's so interesting so khan academy or developing khan migo which is launching in the states and will come over here soon I've developed ChatGPT at home with my nine-year-old daughter and turned it into Fred, her maths uh, teach bot, which coaches her through um, different maths-related questions that she's going to be assessed on, which doesn't look as fun or engaging as um, other tools like Snapchat's MyAI. And I think the user interface and experience is crucial. Oh, big so, time. So that digital Aristotle um, approach, the idea of having your personalised um, caddy coach uh, little Socrates on your shoulder, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Um, I love that idea. And that frees up the human time in the classroom for those activities, those practicals, those discussions, those memorable knee-to-knee, human-to-human bits that are so sticky and um, help the synapses to fire so much. So exactly. students are travelling in to be in the classroom bus, train, and come and they sit there and they're just going to be at a screen doing something they could have done using their digital Aristotle, as yeah. you put it. Then they're going to start challenging teachers and say, well, why am I here? What's, what, why, what's different about this? Particularly as we're getting to a point, a tipping point relatively soon, where this is going to be accessible to lots of people. And, but that digital poverty side of it comes in whereby not everyone has access to all these things at the moment. So we're not quite there yet. Oh, no, we're... We're probably decades away from that. Maybe, maybe. But the idea of everyone having that guide on the side, that um, personalised coach is crucial. But the rigour and the academic standards and quality of that, getting that to a, a, a standard that's acceptable is important because some of the output from generative AI tools like ChatGPT is sort of negligible at the moment. Um, it can yeah. be as good as a lawyer. It can be as good as a, a doctor in terms of the language-based um, results it's giving. It can be. It has that potential. It's all about the prompt engineering and the quality in, yielding quality out. You want to make sure it's programmed correctly, simple as that, because it can also be heavily manipulated as well. It can. Um, 
and I mentioned this earlier, I was watching a, there was a live stream of AI Family Guy episodes. I'll be a bit careful how I word it for the actual broadcast. I told you how it was, but basically someone said how it could commit crimes and it taught them how to do it. And it was like, oh my God, how could they do it? Thankfully though, I think that someone was obviously taking the AI and botched it a little bit. So I think as long as it, they avoid that, it's all kind of safe in that sense. So it's crazy though. Yeah. yeah so we with Snapchat and it giving being a love guru advising teenagers on certain things. There's been some quite terrifying examples of some advice in terms of sexual relationships oh that are age inappropriate and not understanding the ethical, moral, legal line. That's been adjusted and corrected since by Snap, who owns Snapchat. But it gives you an idea of the speed of development of these generative AI tools and how. There's going to be errors, there's going to be mistakes. There's always that disclaimer, of course, whenever you use any of these tools at the time of talking, July 2023, yep. that these are experiments, these are learning, they aren't correct. And that are criti- final, being finalised. Absolutely, that critical consumption is crucial. And that, that is something that we need to train young people uh, to be mindful of. And again, bringing it back to digital well-being, right? That idea of understanding that these are tools that can be used for good and can be helpful yeah but making sure they're used in a way that enhances the human capabilities the idea of um core skills is what we talk about uh, compassion originality responsibility and empathy not soft skills core skills yeah. are more crucial than ever and that's what we at the college basingstoke college of technology pride ourselves on developing because those skills are now needed more now than ever a big time so keep it up, guys. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, just before we come to the end, I want to try a little game. And I'm going to include Luke and Pete, who are now looking over at me quite worried. Uh, guys, have you got your phones on you? Yes. I want you to get your phones out, and I want you to have a look at your screen time. Let's see who's, who's got it worse. <laughs> I'm already, unfortunately, I've already put my money on Luke, because yeah. so he's I, my I, age. Pretty so much. I did something... After watching the Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix, which I really recommend to everybody if you are curious about any of these topics, I was conscious of the fact that me, I was then a 38-year-old man, now a 40-year-old man, I was embarrassed at the fact my children were seeing me on my device so much. So I made a commitment to name and shame my stats, my digital well-being stats on Twitter every Monday for a year, which I did. And I brought it down from four and a half hours a day to two and a half hours a day. So my screen time is two and a half hours a day now, my mean average. And that's taken conscious, deliberate effort and blocks, timers. My screen goes to black and white mode at five o'clock to make it less attractive. All these different blocks needed to go in place to bring me down. Well, you know what? I want to make this a little bit of a live experiment. So guys, have you got your screen times ready? Mine's actually switched off. Pete's switched off. Oh, so he's behaving himself. That's good. All right, okay, we'll use you, Luke, then. Luke, what's your screen time at? Six hours 40, nearly average. Six hours 40. So how would you knock that down then? Like, give us, could you give us a few tips and hints yes. of how you would knock that down to, I'm going to say three hours, three and a half hours, because you use your phone for work as well to make calls, so I know that's probably skewing it a little bit. So how would you maybe cut that down, perhaps on the time-wasting side of it? Because it's always a tool, but still. It's got to come from if you want to then yeah. there's something there so if you're using it as a media professional then of course you got that well I, I had that as well though oh, I'm being productive in my job and I'd use that as an excuse yeah it's just um, scrolling through TikTok <laughs> so so for me the big one was app timers 
So I'd allow myself an hour and 50. Email was my addiction. Um, really? Yeah, weirdly. And chat tools. So I had two hour block. On that, so when it got to the two hour point, it would then grey out and say, I can't use that anymore. I would have the black and white mode at five o'clock. So it becomes less attractive. The bright colours that look like toys. That that's, It's a, a visual signifier to me that, okay, time to stop this a little bit more now. For me, having children, the fact I don't want my children looking up and seeing that. And seeing yeah. that this is their dad, look at, it's just a horrible, it makes me cringe thinking about that. You don't want that to be like a core memory. Of- no, absolutely not. And that's so a conscious effort against that. Um, another thing is using different digital wellbeing tools and apps that are available. There's many great apps available that help people to actually um, be conscious and aware of the way that these tools are perhaps using them. Yes. Yeah. not only an attention economy, it's an intimacy economy. These companies have not got our best intentions at their business strategy they want our attention they want our attention that's the most important thing so ultimately six seven hours or so that's you know 17 years of your life if you live to 80 looking at your device if Mm. you continue going that way and that might be okay someone might go yeah fair enough i like it it's fun that's all right if that's that's what you want to do can't do much more about that but ultimately when you (laughs) look back and think a course of your life looking at down at your phone is that the best possible use of your your energy and time and that's the tipping point a lot of people starting to get to in terms of well am i happy doing this is it making me happy yeah and if you're using it to connect it might be long video calls with people on the other side of the world yeah it might be being productive it might be all these different things but just knowing that you are the one deciding is the most important thing. If you have intent and do, using it deliberately, I'm all for it. But that's that's the thing. Are you in charge or are you being washed away in a particular direction by these algorithmic filter bubbles and echo chambers? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because, like I say, I don't want to live look back at my life, whatever that is in the future. Um, I mentioned before, I, I was actually at a funeral for my uncle yesterday and we had the slide, beautiful photo stream of him, of all the things he did in his life. No pictures of him sitting there looking at his phone <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Horrible, isn't it? And, 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 I'm thinking, and it kind of made me think as well. Um, you know, I've got to make sure I'm not living on that. Like, use it as a tool. Um, I mean, because there's benefits for FaceTime, for example. We've got my grandmother who lives in um, Derbyshire. Um, and my granddad died back in 2019. So since then, we, my dad would FaceTime my grandmother and my auntie, so his sister, every day and they'd always just chat for half an hour or so and that's like one of the most amazing parts of digital tech but it's like i said it's it's using it correctly isn't it and use it as a tool it's absolutely brilliant but if we use it to enslave ourselves i know that's such a heavy word but it's it's true then we are screwing ourselves effectively so it's it's just upsetting and um and to see young people i work with in particular yeah, not engaging with each other, not mm. discussing, not having those memorable moments because they're in their atomized existence, cut off somewhat, um, quite happy. Um, they might say they're getting their regular dopamine release, as it were, but yeah, um, there is, in terms of that long-term meaningful <laughs> um, happiness, that real contentment, that real beautiful sort of uh, use of life, that's something that a lot of young people are reporting that they are missing and um, the reporting increasing levels of depression being disconnected and 
disenfranchised and to give them meaning, purpose, um, and autonomy to create something that they have skin in the game with and they feel like completely committed to and have and really fills their heart using technology that's a great thing so we try to encourage that that use of technology and yeah. to scaffold it for them but if we don't provide as educators the guidance and advice and support then there's that concern that they might be washed away like so many other people have been like i see it with students we work with people who could achieve great things I've just been spending too much time looking at the things that are just so satisfyingly now. I think the big thing as well, I was at Goodwood recently and I absolutely loved it. And I don't know if you saw my Instagram, I did photobomb myself to death with hundreds of posts because I absolutely loved it. But I was still very conscious about how I did that. So I use my Instagram as almost a bit like a, it's like a public viewing of my life, which I guess it all is. But I kind of use it as a way of like an archive for myself and then I, I, it's not like I do it for publicity. I just have my friends and family on there. So it's like, obviously what I'm doing, it's like, it's kind of almost a bit of a, it's all right, things are good. But when I was at Goodwood, for example, uh, and this is one of the tips I learned was I, I kind of practiced that sort of timing. So I, I said, right, you can take some photos, you can take some videos, it's fine, but switch off the phone for a period of time at this event and enjoy it. Um, which is what I did. And actually that worked out really good. And it was kind of like, I said, that balancing act, I was able to capture some of these beautiful memories of some beautiful race cars, um, got some selfies with some drivers, and then I'd switch the phone off and enjoy being present in that moment. And I think mindfulness is a big part of that, being in the moment. And I think that that's, that's a whole topic for another day. But my advice would be always go back to the central point, think about your points of contact, things like that. Um, Another thing I've done as well, reading. I've actually taken up proper reading, not not on a Kindle, on an actual book. Oh, so I had to nice. buy books in uh, and I uh, learned so much doing that. Uh, 1984, I read. Oh man, I'm a big George Orwell fan. <laughs> that makes my heart sing hearing that. That's lovely. Oh, I loved it. I saw the movie as well. Oh, I saw the movie first and I was like, I have to read the book. Mm. Funnily enough, actually, um, it was another Beacot lecturer as well who recommended it to me, uh, Harvey, who was one of the maths lecturers, a really good friend of mine these days. And we were, we were, we've discussed on it as well. And that book will get people thinking as well. But anyway, Scott, it's been absolute privilege to have you. And just to tie up, Scott was my lecturer uh, for two, uh, two years at Beacot. And then we worked together for a number of years as well, because I did my apprenticeship working for the college. So it's been an absolute privilege to have you here. And I must say, I feel like I've, I'm quite proud to bring you here as my media lecturer, because this is kind of, as a media student, what I strive for. And now I'm here uh, at Berkshire Media. I've got a great team around me. And that's because of uh, lecturers like yourself, uh, Vicky, Joe, um, yeah, everyone. So it's been absolutely brilliant. I'm very proud of you, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.